Good morning, everyone. My name's Jan, and it's my privilege to read God's Word for us this morning. Uh, it's page 976 in your Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow on there. And I'm reading Hebrews chapter 13, 9b to 14. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jen. Well, thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to get up and to, to open up God's word uh, in this particular part of, of Hebrews. Um, it does uh, reflect a little bit of uh, some of the difficulties that we've had over in Spain as we think about the different cultures and the way that different cultures see the world. Um, for the Hebrews, they really are uh, quite similar to uh, the Spanish culture in being a shame on a culture, in that the, 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 the group sets the norms uh, for society. And uh, as uh, the norms are set, um, if you stay with inside those norms, you bring honour. But if you step outside those norms, there's great shame. Great shame for you personally, for the group, um, for your family. Uh, so we're, we're different to that. We see the world in, a, in, a, in an individualistic way here in the West, generally. Uh, the idea of, of rights and responsibilities of the innocent defined by the law. And if we abide by the law, you're innocent. If you break the law, you're guilty. Um, so we call this a guilt-innocence uh, society that we're in. And I guess the conflict came for us over the COVID lockdown laws. For me, coming from Australia to Spain, I really, I really struggled with this. Um, in COVID, we had pretty strict lockdown laws. The government put, uh, put on the society that it was illegal to have more than six people over Christmas. And that was really hard for us as a family because we've got our friends who there's four in their family and four in our family wanted to get to, together for Christmas. And uh, that would have made eight. And the government said you couldn't do it. And so we had this ethical dilemma, this conflict of worldviews of what we should do um, as a family. Should we meet and break the law um, or should we um, abide by the law? As Australians, we're people who do abide by the law because the law is set and we're, 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 we're innocent if we keep within the law. If we break it, there's consequences. But in Spain, it, it's just different uh, in that way. And uh, one of the, the insights into culture that I got was when someone said to me, the government set that law, but they're expecting it to be broken. <laughs> they, they know more than people, six people are going to gather for Christmas. And I just, didn't, I just didn't get that. I just didn't understand that as, as a person who sees the world through a particular lens uh, that is the guilt-innocent lens of the individual. We didn't meet in the end. It was really disappointing for us not to meet um, at that Christmas because we thought we needed to set an example of not being able to, uh, uh, to, to, to abide by the law. And to me as a Westerner, that just didn't make sense. Why make a law that you know everyone is going to break? And if you're feeling a little bit of that tension, 
um, then welcome to the world of the, the, the Western world, of seeing the world in that way. But it's different from the world of the Hebrew people as we come uh, to put on, need to put on a different set of glasses to read the letter to the Hebrews. And to feel the weight of disgrace, of shame, um, when, you, when you go outside the norms that have been set and expected of you. And those norms for the Hebrew people in the first century was Judaism, uh, the temple, the sacrifices of the altar, and especially the yearly sacrifice that happened in September, October, called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Uh, they were set in the first century when this first sermon was read out loud. Uh, the setting was in the Roman Empire. And the Romans accepted Judaism as a religion. That was accepted. But Christianity was not so much accepted. And so after the burning of, of Rome in 64 by, by Emperor Nero, there was this massive turn on Christians as the scapegoats. Lots of persecution. Lots of rejection. Lots of ostracization. Uh, and the first century Christians in Rome were living under that, as were all the Christians in the Roman Empire as this persecution broke out against them. And so the great temptation for Christians in Rome, for Christians who were, were living under the Roman Empire, was to drift back under the protection of Judaism that was a recognised, accepted religion for the Roman Empire. And so the writer of this sermon was writing really to help us to understand, to help them to understand, to exhort them not to retreat back into Judaism, but to remain faithful to Christ, to stand outside of the society norms and not to retreat back into Judaism, which was accepted. Even though Christians were experiencing public humiliation and confiscation of their property and imprisonment, the writer of the Hebrews is clear where to stand firm in Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Well, does this include us as, as Christians living on the other side of the world in a different, a different century? Well, there are multitudes of people around the world, Christians around the world, who are experiencing persecution, suffering for standing with Christ, imprisonment for their faith. And praise God in Australia, we haven't had that uh, confiscation of property or imprisonment yet, but there will be time coming. It is hard for people to stand up for Christ. And many of us know that all too well. Our Christian teenagers are enduring it daily in their schools, as do many adults in their workplaces, this pressure that we're feeling from our culture, from our society, amongst non-Christian family members and friends, and it's tempting to withdraw and hide to fit in with the beliefs and the practices those around us accept. It's a hard time to be a Christian. And for the Hebrew Christians back in their time, that acceptable practice, that norm, was, it was Judaism. To be a Christian was dangerous and to be outside of that norm. To be Jewish was culturally safe, to be Hebrew. However, Judaism and its attendance practices, all the things that we read in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, they're all part of an unfolding plan of God to bring all things to fulfillment or perfection in Christ who's both the great high priest and the final once-for-all sacrifice for sin. All those threads of the Old Testament are coming and finding its climax and fulfilment in Jesus as the one-off sacrifice so that God's people can be pure, can be clean, can be holy. Therefore, it was a problem for Christians to move away 
from Jesus, to seek comfort in the belief of Judaism. But the teachings were there. And that's why it says in verse 9, and that's why typically Hebrew starts with this do not phrase, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do. So the writer here has in mind the teachings that some in the church had brought in from parts of Judaism to make it acceptable, some of the food laws as a means of eating those to be strengthened to withstand the persecution and conflict that they were under. Huge pressure that Jewish Christians were facing to retreat back into the shelter of Judaism as a recognised, acceptable Roman religion. And so the exaltation of encouragement for Christians is in the next verse, in verse 10. We have a different altar. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. And we can see from this verse that Judaism is in the mind of the writer. And the burden of the whole first ten chapters of Hebrews shows how Judaism, with all its parts, all its types, the high priest, the temple, the altar, the animal sacrifices, that have all developed through the Old Testament, all those threads now come to be fulfilled in one man, Jesus of Nazareth, who's all of those. He is the true high priest. He is the animal sacrifice. He is the temple where God meets humanity now. Jesus is the lamb. That true sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the cross of Christ is the true altar where Jesus gave up his life and shed his precious blood so that we might be forgiven and live. That is, we need to stay outside. Those who stay in Judaism or Christians who return to Judaism just don't have access to that true altar, the living Lamb that we can feed on. Christians, we do. We can feed on Jesus by faith and be encouraged and strengthened to resist the pressures of our culture, to resist the attractions of our culture, to resist being drawn back into our culture, to draw strength from those things that are there in our society and our culture, those modern altars, those modern temples where people find their, 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 their fulfilment or try to at least. You know, the, the modern temple of the shopping centre, where we go and we feel somehow a release as we, as we do a bit of shopping there. Or go on to the internet to find support or encouragement there. Whatever it might be, those things that we go to for strength, those altars, those temples, don't satisfy, don't sustain. Whether it's food or alcohol, whatever it might be, shopping or the internet. They're supposed to give us courage and strength, but in the end... They don't. They don't sustain us. They're a lie from Satan that doesn't deliver. And we're weakened by these things, not strengthened by them. Verse 11 goes on to say, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places as sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And that is, when the high priest enters the temple behind that veil, he offers a sacrifice of the blood of a bull on that day of atonement, the Yom Kippur. And that blood covers the sins of, of the, all the people for the whole year. And when that sacrifice has been done, the high priest would then take out that carcass of that animal outside of the camp and go outside to the waste areas and that, that carcass would be burnt. That bull's body taken outside, into the Israel, outside of the Israel camp into the wilderness 
and there would be burnt. And that, that's, a, that's a, a place of disgrace, of shame, an area that was designated really more as a rubbish dump than a, than a latrine. It's a place of disgust and shame. And that's where the sacrifice day of atonement and animal carcasses were burnt. And so the writer of Hebrews is already written in chapters 8 and 9 and 10 that Jesus is fulfilment of all that, all those types or norms of Judaism. He himself is both the high priest and the sacrificed animal that was killed. He's the blood that was precious blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins to make us once and for all pure, holy and blameless in the sight of God. And so he goes on to say in verse 12, So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Jesus fulfills that day of atonement, not just, not just uh, for forever, not just for once a year. And so at 3pm on that Friday afternoon in 33 AD, Jesus died outside the city walls of Jerusalem, a shameful, humiliating death on a Roman cross. It was a place of shame outside of the city. The Romans were experts at crucifixion and punishment and had many grisly ways to kill people. And crucifixion was reserved for the worst, for those that posed a real threat to, to Rome. And that cross ended up being a living or actually a dying billboard where people were hung there as, they, as their lifeblood drained away. And they were placed outside of the city of Jerusalem on the main access road in where people would walk past them on their way to the marketplace. And people, passers-by would see them and they'd be warned, do not do this, do not cross the Roman Empire. The warning message was there. So the writer then goes in verse 13, exhorts us, encourages us, for all Christians to follow that walk of shame of Jesus to the cross. Outside the norms of society, of outside of culture, it says in verse 13, Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Just as Jesus bore the shame of crucifixion on a, on a Roman cross outside the walls of Jerusalem, all those who follow Jesus, as the gospel impels us, is to take up our cross and to follow him. And so, as I said, for us, the new temples might be shopping malls, the new altars might be social media, the food might be pornography that people try and feed on or the ideologies of identity that we consume that try and satisfy this hunger that will never be satisfied. And so the exhortation for us is to walk away from these temples, these, these altars, these foods that will not give us strength. But if you do walk away, you have to bear the shame. Be ready to bear the cross, the disgrace, the cultural cost. We leave the comforts of our society, our culture, all the attractions of the city, its bright lights, the securities of popularity, and walk away with Jesus outside of the city. But to do that with joy, not in a, not a masochistic way, but in a hopeful way. And the motivation for there is in, in verse 14. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we look forward to the city that is to come. Motivation is hope that draws us through the suffering, the pain, the shame of bearing the disgrace of being Christian. And we are tethered to Jesus who is ruling over all things in the heavenly realm. And we patiently wait for his second and final coming when he consummates a new world order, the new creation, a new city, the new Jerusalem. And that, that's the city in the writer's mind, the eternal city, the new Jerusalem, which in reality is a whole new creation that we look forward to without death 
without tears, without cancer, without anything evil or shameful or sinful in me. Hope is what we need to be able to walk away from our cultural norms and bear the shame, the disgrace, just as Jesus did for all of us. So Hebrews has this main idea of all the Old Testament has these parts or these types and they move to fulfilment in Jesus. And now where to move with Jesus to live cowardly culturally, even if it means we are shamed or ridiculed, rejected for our beliefs in the crucified Christ. So we're to embrace the shame of the cross in our, our cultural context. And so I just want to explore some of the implications uh, for that. Um, the first is, I think we talked about uh, this worldview of, of, of shame and honour <clears throat> for the Hebrew people and for um, people in Spain, and we're living here in guilt and innocence. Well, I think there's been a mesh of that um, that happens in our Western world today, and it comes out through cancel culture. We're no, living, no longer living simply living in a guilt-innocent culture. Since the advent of the internet and that tribalising effect it's had on lots of people, we now have another worldview that's operating in the West, and especially for our young people, and it's a mix of shame and honour. It's, it's really interesting how it's flipped, as well as this idea of pain and pleasure, where we try and eliminate pain and accentuate the pressure, pleasure, pleasure. And we see the shame honour aspect of it in cancel culture. That's where a celebrity who does or says something outside the norms of the tribe that's set gets cancelled, gets shamed out of their public position. It happened recently to, um, to the banjo player out of Mumford & Sons, um, Winston Marshall. Um, he'd been in the band for 15 years. They're English. And he just happened to read a, a book by an American, Afro, uh, American Vietnamese journalist called Andrew Nung. And he posted on his Twitter that this is a really challenging book and interesting to read. And the backlash against that Twitter post well, was, was, was alarming. It was frightening. He was shamed out of his band that he'd, st that he'd been a part of for 15 years. And he, he left um, so, that he, so that the band would not suffer any more retribution from, from the people that have turned against them just because of one Twitter post. Marshall bore the shame, the disgrace, resigned from the band that he loved and had been in for more than 15 years. So we're living in a period of great transition and social media is so powerful and there that tribe in social media really sets the norms and if we say anything against those norms, we're going to be shamed, disgraced, cancelled. There's great pressure on us as we live in this world and especially on our young people to conform to those norms and none so more with the issue of identity. So the first application point, I think, is that we should you know, really be careful how much we engage with social media, what we write. Be careful about that. Be careful what we consume on social media. It's not the place we go to. It's not the altar we go to in order that we get strength. The second is that we need to be ready to take up a cross and follow Christ outside the prevailing social norms, thinking about confirmation tonight. It's what God expects his people to do. It's a way of following Jesus and it will cost us if you're willing to stand up for Christ. So four people tonight will stand up and declare that they're willing to confirm their faith in Jesus. To resist the world, the flesh and the devil and to stand up for Jesus. And it's going to be hard and as we as a community, we need to support them. We need to, to lovingly help and stand with them in order that they might make these commitments. And we promise these commitments as well to, to, to bear with them 
And we need to be a community of God's people who are willing to do that and find our identity in Jesus, in him. Willing to bear the disgrace of the outsider, of not being accepted by, the social, by society around us. Being willing to love and support others who are willing to stand up for Jesus as well. We're not to do this alone. And thirdly, we're to feed on Christ by faith for strength to endure the shame. In our long and deep church tradition, um, there's been three means of grace that people have talked about. Three ways that we can feed on Christ and be strengthened by him. Through the word of God, through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. And when we engage with God in these three ways, God promises that he'll strengthen us, that we will be able to feed on Christ through the Holy Spirit. As we read the Bible, whatever ways we do that, personally or as a family or in Bible study settings or here at church, we open ourselves up to be fed by Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it speaks about not being drunk with wine. Um, that's not the place that we should go to for support encouragement but to continue to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And there are five things that Paul says which were indicators that God's Spirit is in you and that you're opening yourself up to the Spirit and the work of God. And that is when we come together, we're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. We're to be people who are always thankful to God for what he's done for us in, in, in Jesus Christ. And we're to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And so when we gather to do these things, these are opportunities for God's Holy Spirit to continue to fill us that we may feed on Christ by faith. Hebrews 10, um, just a little before what we've uh, looked at today, says, not to, to, says, commends us not to give up meeting with each other as some in the habit of doing, but to spur each other on to love and good deeds, even more as we see the day approaching, and the day approaching is the, the final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we gather to do that, when we encourage one another, these are ways that we can feed on Christ, being strengthened by Jesus, by God's grace, by God's Holy Spirit. And so we're encouraged by uh, this, this sermon that was read out loud to embrace the shame for the joy that's been set before us like Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just as Jesus did, we're to follow him and bear the disgrace that society, our schoolmates, our work and our university colleagues, colleagues, our friends, even some of us for our families, we're to bear that and follow the way of Jesus. Even if we are rejected or labelled as freaks for believing in some fairy tale, or worse, being called evil, for standing on biblical grounds. Or not to go to other places to find strength and sustenance. For Jesus is our true food, our true altar, our true place of worship. Acceptable worship is only found in him, outside the norms of our society. We're not living for this world, but like Jesus. And the heroes of the faith, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we're looking forward to the city, the new creation, the world without end that is to come. The one Jesus purchased for us by his blood. So let's stand with him outside the mainstream culture. Enduring the disgrace, he bore with sure and certain hope that we'll receive the eternal city. And let's do it together, supporting and encouraging another, one another because none of us can or should do this alone.